Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, Conversations in Cycling Subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and today's episode is brought to you by the new DCO Disruptive Commotion Overlay Camo Commotion Sticker Packs, now available for dark frames. That's right, these three color vinyl commotion stickers will transform any bicycle into a commotion camo thingamarig. Today's guest is a very special one. He is steeped in cycling subculture, has been a fixture in Northern California cycling for over two decades, is passionate about getting people on their bikes and riding. You can find him on Instagram at California Travis. He's got some very amazing photography on there too. I'm just saying. Please join me in welcoming Mr. California Travis. Travis, thank you for being here. I'm so honored to be able to connect with you after all these years. My pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to just hang out and talk to you. I have so many fond memories of us at the Freewheel Bike Shop back in the day at night, sitting there, me sitting there building wheels for you or Robert or somebody while you painted that giant mural on the wall. And we were listening to like Outcast speaker box had just come out and we would listen to it over and over again. And when that album came out, we were just like, yes, so that that album was crazy. Nobody had put out a hip hop album like that before. And we just sat there and, you know, philosophized about life for hours while you painted and I worked on bikes and, uh, you know, I felt like I got to know your essence pretty well during that time. And uh, I was like, that that dude's all right. He's got a good heart. Yeah, that was so... I was thinking about that recently, too. How I was like, how the fuck does this guy like... He's like, yeah, go ahead, paint a mural. Me, never painted a mural. Be like, yeah, I'll paint a mural. (laughs) Like this funny mix. I had been in Italy, traveling in Italy, and there's murals everywhere there. And I was just like, man, America's so boring. All these blank walls everywhere. Like, there needs to be more murals. You rocked it. Yeah, that was cool. You have been one of like a very, you've been like a very pinnacle person in my life in the bike world because you actually were, I think you were the first person or like through Freewheel to buy Cadence, which is, you know, was like instrumental. and, And then the mural thing, like you've always been this very supportive and like positive and encouraging person in general, but I think also just for like cycling, it's just like, I don't know, it's really powerful and important because, you know, through that, like it spawned this whole direction in my path. And I can't imagine how many other people you've done that for as well. Yeah, when it came to messengers, trying to find a way to get out of messengering and do something creative, you know, whether it was you or like freight baggage making bags you know i was like yeah man bring some of those things in here and let's try and sell them and get you rolling these look great or frame builders like whatever messengers have been trying to um get out of that groove and do something new and because like you and i both know like messengers some of those guys are smart as hell like such big brains and uh so much potential if they you know have a way to get it rolling yeah, and there's like the like that's kind of one of the funny darker sides of being a messenger is you can kind of get stuck in that like rotation. Yeah. 
do it for so long, you start losing contact with the outside world and you're just like, how do I get out of this thing? Yeah, for sure. And that, was it, so I know that you were a messenger at one point also. What, what years were those? Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of wanted to tell you a little story about me discovering bikes. Yes, awesome. Really saved, saved my ass because- No way. I was a punk kid and, you know, uh, just going through high school as a punk kid. And um, where was that? Uh, here in California, Chico and a little bit in New Mexico. My mom lived here. My dad lived in New Mexico and I bounced back and forth. And New Mexico was brutal. It was like this little town called Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is the middle of nowhere. Total like trailer park in the middle of the desert, like nothing to do but walk out in the desert and smoke cigarettes. Very existential. Um, there were a few punks there. There were some goths there that I rode the school Whoa. bus with, these goth girls, and they would like let me borrow tapes of like The Cure and Killing Joke and Dead Milkman and stuff. And we all had to just cool. like tape trade cool. to discover punk. And there was a, a couple punks in town. You know, so we would just oh, you'd like exchange resources and and try and help each other. But for the most part, it was super bleak. Got my ass kicked so many times. Just like oh, wow. walking down all people just wail on me out of nowhere. Just no like shit. if I had a dollar for every time I got punched and called faggot, it yep. would just be like it was brutal. Um, so and then I would bounce back and forth between there and here and here. It was just like. No problem. You know, you're a skater punk kid. No problem. Like, you can do whatever you want um, wow. and not get beat up continually, you know. Um, so I was living here going to high school and I graduated early and um, moved to Portland when I was 17. And oh, I was living in Portland yeah. and I was trying to get a job and I could not get a job. And um, I was looking and looking and looking and uh, I was having a really hard time finding a job. And I was in a really dark place, um, just feeling like humanity was garbage and we were destroying the planet and I didn't belong in the world. You know, that not being able to find a job will definitely make you feel that way. And I couldn't sleep at night and I would have these, pro these times where I just lay there in bed trying to sleep, going crazy. And if you've ever had insomnia, you know how your brain just goes in a loop and you're just like, you start to just feel crazy. So I would go walk around at night in the like abandoned warehouse neighborhoods of Portland. And my mind was not getting any better and my mindset was not getting any better. And I was just feeling really like just dystopic and like, I just didn't want to live in this world. So suicidal. And um, so one night I decided, okay, I'm going to end it all. I'm going to go jump off this bridge. And so I, and it was pretty late. So I went to catch the bus to ride as close to the bridge as I could get and then walk from there. Do you know which and, bridge? Do you remember? It's the, the big gothic-ass bridge um, over by your house. Oh, the St. John's Bridge. St. John's Bridge, yeah. Whoa, which is in like almost every single video that I do too. Yes. So people so that know. Bridge is very, that bridge is very unique to me. So... Um, I was living in uh, southeast, south, southeast at the time, and I had to take the bus. And being the middle of the night, they ran pretty infrequently. And so it took me forever to like walk to the right bus stop and then finally wait for the bus forever. And then it 
took me there and and then walked to the bridge and walked to the you know across the bridge and by the time I got to like the middle of it it was um the sun was starting to rise and it was like super beautiful and oh. epic and you know how that bridge is and there was like no traffic because it right. was like whatever time in the morning and it was just like just me on this insane gothic bridge with the sun rising and I kind of chickened out like I was just like man this is fucking epic but mostly like mostly I just kind of chickened out I was like ah, I don't know maybe maybe not today so I walked back and waited for the bus again and there was just like such an ordeal and then I, I took the bus close to my house and as I was walking home there was a bicycle laying on the sidewalk and it was a trek antelope and um it was like blue with like splatters on it white or black splatters and it had uh like gs200 parts which were like plastic um you know plastic brake levers and plastic cannies and stuff but it had hella gears and um is it um is this mountain bike or is it a road bike it is okay fully rigid mountain bike like we're talking mid 90s you know like uh yeah this was mid 90s early 90s maybe even um trek antelope just their their cheap bike but to me i was like whoa this is fancy it's got all these gears you know and 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 it's a fancy bike it's not a like beach cruiser or something you know right um or a bmx bike or whatever so it was just laying in the sidewalk and i was like (laughs) okay so i took it home and uh hung out that day and um Still, you know, I was in a dark place, but that night there was a new Fugazi record that had come out and that record, well, I say, but it was a cassette tape. So I had it on cassette tape. Sick. Yeah. And I had, so I had the latest Fugazi cassette and I had my Walkman and now I had this bike. Oh, cool. So I went down to the warehouse district that night and I, you know, put in the new Fugazi tape and I cranked it and I was like, I'm just going to ride this bike around. So I was riding this bike around the warehouse neighborhood and, you know, I had all these gears and I didn't realize you could go that fast on a bicycle. Oh, um, wow. You know, it was just kind of like, holy shit, you can haul ass on these things. Like, keep going, shift the gears, it goes even faster and keep trying, shift and it goes even faster. And so I was just jamming around, just flying around to me what felt like crazy speed. Um listening to Fugazi and I was like man this is something this is this is like worth living for you know like what can oh, I cool. do with this and then I was like I've seen those guys who like ride their bikes around and like it looks like they're delivering packages and stuff like and I was like I should try and get that job no way you just did you notice those before Portland or I mean yeah, like, was it only in Portland that you'd seen Messengers? Yeah. yeah. Oh, because there's not that many in Portland, too. Not now, but there was back then. Well, that, not a ton, but yeah. There, that makes there sense. Was, there, when I worked at Transurf, we had probably 40 riders just oh. to Transurf. Yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing. I was still 17, so I went down to the Messenger, you know, places and started to try to apply you know back then it was a phone book you just went to the messenger page in the phone book tore it out Sick. and then rode around <laughs> to all the different messenger places 
And basically everybody there just kind of laughed at me and said, you have to work at Transurf first. And I didn't really know what that meant. And then they explained like that was the shitty company. And if you were a rookie, then you had to start at Transurf. And then once you've been riding for a while, you could maybe get a job at the nicer companies. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, whatever. So I went to Transurf and they were like, oh, you're only 17. Like you can't, we can't hire you till you're 18. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just bided my time oh. and I was working in a movie theater for a while. And just waited. And then on my 18th birthday, no way. I quit my I quit my movie theater job and I like went to Transurf and I was like, I'm 18. Like Sick. hire me. And they were like, okay, weird ass <laughs> kid. Like, and I had like green dreadlocks and I had to like put my helmet on and then pull the dreadlocks through the vents in the helmet. No so that, way. Like, That's... Head, right? <laughs> and then they wear these helmet, what's called they called helmet panties. They were like uh, uh, Lycra helmet cover that yeah. said tra- Transurf on the side really big oh. and then it had your number on the back in case you you know got in trouble and stuff um, and it was the shittiest company like um, one hour deliveries they charged their customer three dollars and oh. you got one third commission so you got a dollar for, for a one hour delivery uh. and two-hour deliveries and there were four-hour deliveries oh my god 25 yeah. cents <laughs> i think they might have had a rush that was a 30-minute rush but nothing you know there were no b15s or anything like that so it was like <laughs> you had to ride your ass off to make decent money at train and they called uh, it trans slave because it was like the rookie company and stuff so uh, I worked there for a while and they gave me a, a route between these film development uh, places mm. that ended up being really good. So I stayed there for about a year and then uh, finally like got into some better companies as, as usually happens, you know, a company will be hiring and then their writers will be like, Hey, you know, what about that guy? You know? And so I, I moved my way up and uh, so that was cool. And that was kind of how like discovering a, a shitty Trek antelope kind of saved my ass from who knows what. I don't know what I would have done. You know, I really didn't see any future. And riding my bike around for money was like, yeah, dude, this is great. And I, can, and I can be a crusty punk. Nobody yeah. cares that, like, you know, I have a shirt that says "fuck off," and I can just it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, like I can look how like people expected you to be an outlaw. You know, like as a messenger. Yeah, you know, like people expected you to be crusty and sketchy. You know, so I was like, "Oh, I'll be happy to live up to that expectation." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I've been built as I'm designed for this." <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> Did it, 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 it? I'm guessing that through the messenger stuff, you started to build like a community, like a network of friends, and. Uh, it, is that something that was maybe not there beforehand? I had friends and I lived in a punk house. Oh, okay. And, you know, we would go to punk shows and, are, you know, play in bands and stuff. But you can't pay your rent with that. True. And when they're all asleep and you're still laying there awake, losing your mind. Yeah, I don't know. They weren't, they weren't very supportive. I, I remember when I came back from from going to the bridge to jump off and I told my and I was this my friend woke up in the morning to go to work and I was still awake 
and he was like eating his cereal and he's like he's like hey what's up i'm like oh man i just went to jump off the bridge and i chickened out and he was like you know he's eating his cereal and he's like oh <laughs> well i gotta go to work see you later i'm like I just told this guy i was gonna kill myself yeah what the you fuck know? i don't know um uh yeah i don't know uh i met some great friends through messengering as i'm sure you did yeah uh, and eventually i went to visit san francisco one year and it was super nice in the winter you know it was like pouring rain in portland and yeah had been for months and then i went to visit san francisco and it's like sunny and there were flowers and i was wearing shorts and i was like why am i living in portland messengering in the rain all day right when i be messengering here in the sun and it's san francisco cool you know yeah so, so I moved to SF and it was easy, you know, I started messengering. So then I moved to oh. SF and I did the same thing, you know, it was like still pre-internet. So it was like, go to the phone booth, both tear out the messenger yeah. page, <laughs> and then ride around like to all the different places. So I just rode around and um, applied at a bunch of different places. And then the very next day I got a call from Maria at Pelican Courier in in San Francisco and she's kind of a legend or was um she was super mean and you know she called me up is this Travis T and I was like yeah and she's like you looking for a job and I was like yeah she's like, well, get your ass down here I was like okay well this lady's crazy so I went down and she wouldn't give me a radio because she didn't trust me so I had to do the old school shit where you like go to do a delivery and then call in over no like a landline. Yeah. Like what? New York style, old school, New York style where like you go and do your delivery and then like call in on a payphone and be like, Hey, I dropped off. I'm like, okay, like go pick up this or call me in 15 or something. And I was like, okay, can I get a radio? And she's like, no, nah, I don't know you. And I was like, yeah. So I had to like prove to her for a while that she could trust me with a radio. And then she finally gave me a radio and, she learned to trust me and it was fine yeah you're probably like a better worker than half the people there and she's like oh yeah i I guess you're all right oh she realized very quickly because i was like total like one of those guys who wanted to do as many deliveries as possible i wasn't like just hanging out at the wall i was like give me more give me more i want to make money um yeah were you motivated by the i not i don't know maybe it was the money or just to see how many you could do I definitely got in some competitions in the past with other messengers on how many tags we could do in one day. So, do, you, do you remember your record? Uh, there was one day that was crazy high, and it was because I was actually, ironically, I was riding a basket bike, like a cruiser basket bike, what? and my dispatcher was like, hey, I have a pickup where... It's 50 pickups <laughs> at the time. And, and I was like, I had my Zoe bag and a basket. So I just went and picked up 100 tags and then just <laughs> rode around delivering them. And I don't know if that was my record, but I remember being like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one pickup, too. You know, you didn't have to go right uh, drop it off. It was just like drop, 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 drop. I don't know if you ever got sucked into that kind of like mindset, but I did a little bit. 
but mostly I was just stoked to be exploring this amazing city by bicycle and getting paid for it, you know? Yes. You'd have a delivery to Russian Hill and you're just like, wow, okay. And totally. you'd, have a del- you'd have a delivery to all these different neighborhoods that you didn't even know existed, you know? And then with their own their own little downtowns almost sometimes, you know? You'd go to Noe yeah. Valley and be like, whoa, crazy. And um, so that was rad. So I was into that. Yes, San Francisco is like such a cool city just as a whole so like therefore being a messenger in that city is like such a special experience because it's all these pockets the whole city's small it's really dense it's kind of maze like it's not just a grid which ugh, like gets old real fast yep um okay wait i feel like you were you were on to something and then i started asking you stupid questions about how many tags you could do <laughs> yeah, i don't know if i really was I was just saying, yeah, I was enjoying messengering in SF. And uh, again, it was like a culture where you're expected to kind of be a, an outlaw in, in a way. And so, you know, no one was surprised if you were like, fuck you, buddy. You know, like. They're like, oh, isn't it great? Take a picture. That is the bike messenger. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco bike messenger. You know, and this was before food delivery. Oh, yeah. So this was when it was all legal work and pre-press and design work so it was really good money wow. by the end when i was working at espresso god it's just like you just show up for a slow day and you'd make a hundred bucks you know like that was wow. just showing up for a dead day so when you were cruising around busting b15s all day um it was really good money like fat money and like Damn, you that's... did not deliver food like people if you showed up and like it was like a food delivery people would literally just be like what i don't deliver food i'm out of here like right yeah yeah be like no I don't get like sauce in my bag. Like I carry important documents in there. Documents, you know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like, I'm important. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. So, so did you kind of find that you were, you know, do, after messenger life kind of has like a time limit to it. Like you yeah. kind of, it's like the greatest job in the world, and then it turns into like the worst thing you could ever imagine. It, it it that was my experience, and I feel like I'd seen that in a few other people too. Is that kind of what started to happen for you? Yeah, I was interested in doing other things too. You know, I while I was doing that, I was working at Maximum Rock and Roll magazine for oh, a while, cool. doing like zine reviews and some record reviews and a little bit of interviewing for them. And then uh, actually ended up working at the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which was pretty funny. Oh, that's awesome. I was doing a delivery to Suicide Prevention Hotline one day uh, in downtown San Francisco. And as I was doing the delivery, I was like, so what's the deal of this place? And um, the lady was like, oh, this is a hotline. You know, this is the Suicide Prevention Hotline for San Francisco. And I was like, huh, how does it work to like start working here and stuff? She's like, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, kind of. And she was like, come sit down for a second. And I was like, okay. And she was like, have you had any experience with this kind of a thing? And I was like, you know, I told her the story I just told you. And I was like, yeah, I've definitely felt suicidal for for sure. Many times. Um, And she was, but I felt like this young punk messenger who didn't really know shit and certainly not qualified to talk on the phone to anybody else about it. Um, But she was like, well, here's how it works. You take these classes and once you've taken those and you're, you know, we sign off on, on you, then you work here. Um, and it's volunteer work, so you don't get paid. Um, 
unless you do night shifts, you get paid for. Um, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And she's like, let's do it. Let's sign you up right now. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't, I'm just like, I don't, I'm not, that's not me. I, I'm, it's, inter- it's interesting. I was interested, but I don't think I'm qualified for that. She's like, no, I think you are. Let's do it. So I'm like, okay. So she, yeah. So she was like, well, you have to pay for the classes. And I was like, oh, I don't have that money. And she was like, okay, well, you don't have to pay for the classes. And I was like, Sick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but she like waved the classes and I went to them and I did them. I took the classes. That's really great. Super fascinating classes, like really interesting and not really what I had expected um, that you would learn. Um, most of working at a suicide prevention hotline is like listening and, and instead of, you know, you're not really like trying to like be like, you have so much to live right. for, you know, like you're not really like trying to talk people into anything so much as just hear them out and just be like, you know, the classic is kind of like, well, how did that make you feel? And, you know, interesting kind of just listening and being there for people. So I took the classes and I started working there and I did a lot of night shifts there while I was messengering. Oh, wow. Both. Um, yeah. So that could be long messengering all day and then working there at night. Um, but it was cool. And uh, eventually they wanted me to work more and more and they were trying to pay me to do it and stuff. And then I was like, that's ah, too much. And uh, so I just quit. But it was interesting. Did Do you feel like that wor- like I hear about that, I think that it would be almost depressing to do that work, or was it maybe the opposite? No, sometimes it was. Yeah, I heard some pretty gnarly stories. Right. Uh, and you know, it's downtown San Francisco at night in this office building that overlooks downtown SF. So you really Whoa. were like sitting there, looking out over the city, talking Whoa. to people who were bumped. But most of the time, people who pick up the phone, they want to be talked out of it. You know, yeah. Like, if, if you're picking up a phone, you want help usually, you know, like for sure, for sure. So, so you already you're along the right path or you're trying to. Be. So it was depressing, but it was good work. You know, it, it, it felt like a good thing to do and a good thing to be there for. Did you but ever yeah. did you ever meet any of the people that you helped through like no. randomness? Because no. San Francisco is a small city, too. I know. I always wondered if that would happen. Um, but usually you wouldn't talk to people more than once or twice. Um, yeah, that makes... That seems... I don't know. Well, yeah. And that's pretty big. So, yeah, just somewhere out there. I did have, actually, one time I was... I got a call, and it was from the Golden Gate Bridge, the people who worked on the Golden Gate Bridge. And they were like, you know, there's those call boxes on Golden Gate Bridge? Yes. You know the ones? Yeah. So someone had picked one of those up, and so they're like, they're like, hey, we have a call. Like, just keep them on the phone. And I was like, okay. And so I'm, like, talking to someone who's on the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, and they're freaking out. And I'm, like, just keeping them on the phone. And we're talking, and all of a sudden, I, they're talking, like, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I hear, just hear, oh! Yeah. <laughs> Which can be tackled. Scuffle, yeah. Workers. And then the bridge workers are like, okay, we got them. Thanks, click. Uh, so, yeah, you're like, I don't know if this is helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they did pick up the phone, but. That's true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea that you ever did that. Good for <laughs> you. That's fucking really cool. That's, That's like. Interesting. I mean, I, you, know, you saved wanna, some lives. Yeah, I don't want to try and take credit like that I was trying to do the right thing necessarily. It was mostly out of my own curiosity. 
I say same set, you know, like that curiosity led to doing some good in the world. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's doing it. I mean, at least at that moment, you know, beyond that, it's, it's up to everybody else. Then it's, it's out of your and mine, everybody else's control, you know? Yeah. So I did that. And then, and then eventually I started working at the three wheel bike shop. Um, yeah. I was curious if, did you, how did that start? How did you get involved with that? Um, well, I bought this frame. I bought a track frame in New York, actually, for 125 bucks. I bought a Richard Sachs track frame. Oh, sick. And uh, this was before anybody knew what track bikes were for or anything. Yeah. When I was a messenger, there were maybe five people riding track bikes. Oh, interesting. Then. Like Eric Zoe, Richie Ditta, Danny Boy, Eric Zoe's dad, <laughs> you know, maybe like two other people. Wow. You know. Yeah. So anyways, I bought, oh, Pez, of course. Oh, cool. And uh, I was visiting Pez in New York once, actually, and bought a Richard Sachs track frame for 125 bucks. brought it back to SF, and I needed a bottom bracket for it. So I took it to the Freewheel bike shop uh, on Valencia Street and was like, yo, can you put a bottom bracket in this? And then and the owner was like, yeah, no problem. And then, like, I came back a few days later, and I was like, all right, we good? And he was like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I got the deal. I got to do that. No, I didn't do it, but I'll do it. And I was like, okay, it's all good. And then, you know, I went back a few days later, and I was like, um, all right, you get that thing down. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, I got to. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, do you need some help in here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, can you, yeah, do you want to work? And I was like, okay. So I started working on weekends. So then I was messengering and then working there. And uh, and then I just ended up transitioning out of messengering and working uh, at the bike shop full time. So, yeah. just kind of got sucked into that, the industry side. Right. Did you have any, like, mechanic experience at that point or did you – Wow. As a crusty punk working on my own bike, the way I used to uh, <laughs> learn how to work on my bike was I would go to bike shops and I would dig in the garbage and I would find the instruction sheets that came with parts. Oh, cool. So like Shimano had the best ones. Like, so I would literally dumpster dive bike shops for the instructions and, and save them all up. So I had this big pile of like instructions. So, like, if I needed to adjust my derailleur, I would dig out the instructions for a, a derailleur, and it would be like, oh, B-tension screw does this, and limiter screws, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I kind of learned how to work on bikes with that. What? That is awesome. Dude, that is, like, such a DIY, punk rock, resourceful, like, way to approach that. That's so cool. Yeah, but look, starting at the bike shop, it was, like, a lot of jobs where you realize you actually don't know shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're like, like here, fix this thing. You're like, what is that thing? Yeah, so I had a lot to learn. I had built my own wheels already and stuff, but oh. I had a lot to learn. And luckily, I had some good people working with me that, that had the patience and took the time to teach me. So. Yeah, well, and it's they just needed help, right? So then just kind of learn on the fly and then just, yep. yeah, maneuver through yep. it. Ah, interesting. And then was the, the free wheel Valencia was the first one then? For no, Freewheel Haze was the first oh, one. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. So the Freewheel free wheel Haze has been there since the 70s. And, oh, that's um, so sick. Yeah, so Freewheel Valencia just opened when I started working there. Got there it. Was tiny, there was barely anything in there. 
Um, and I worked at Free Wheel Valencia for a couple of years and then went and took over Free Wheel Hayes as um, a, they needed somebody to run it. And it was like it was dying and it needed help. So they sent me up there to, to try and bring it back to life. Sometime. Oh, dude, I would say that you 100 percent did that. Like you gave that place that. So when I came to San Francisco and was doing messenger work, Travis was already there with Free Wheel Hayes, and it was this, it was like the place that Travis brought so much like good vibes and energy and just funny and like sharp and good aesthetics. And it was also this really cool meeting place. There were stands where people could work on their bikes. You could have them do mechanic work, they'd buy new stuff. It was this perfect place. And no matter where you lived in the city, a lot of people would still go to Hayes to just be part of that, it was like a nucleus of culture of, you know, not just messenger, but like bike culture, San Francisco bike culture, tangent. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. The thing, the thing that helped with that shop was fixed gears were starting to blow up and nobody knew what the hell it was about and didn't know how to do it. And what, you know, nobody knew what, what was up with fixed none of the shops did you know they were all like your basic bread and butter bike shops they were like you know we have the track bikes and specialized helmets you know yeah fixed gears they had no idea how it worked and they were blowing the fuck up right and i did know how they worked so it was easy and you know actually pez was the first person to come in and say i want fillwood hubs track track hubs and I want them laced to these velocity rims, these deep dish rims. And I was like, weird. Okay. Like, sure. Like, let's do it. So sick. Yeah. And so that was the very first pair in SF, the first pair of Philwood hubs and velocity rims um, to ever get laced for him. And eventually I think we probably, I don't know how many of those we laced. I had, I had, I called Philwood every day. I would call an order from them and wow. same with velocity, like, it really became a track bike hub um, for SF because nobody else knew how to do it and, and, and what was up. And we were definitely on it. You know, we were like, we had track frames in stock. We had track hubs. We had, we were down to sit there and color coordinate with people, you know, as it moved from messengers to hipsters, yeah. there was a lot of like, oh, I want purple rims and I want green hubs and I want white spokes and and we were like yeah sure let's do it mostly because it was just like damn we are making a lot of money like this is wow. crazy because all that shit was really expensive yeah you know and and so we were just stuffing so much money um so and we were like down to to take the time to talk to people and go custom on stuff and do crazy spoke patterns and stuff and and so yeah so it was kind of a track bike hub for a while and then uh we had some customers that wanted to start a team cycling team and i was like well what kind of team do you want to do and they were like we want to do a cyclocross team and i was like that's weird okay um that's a really niche sport which yeah. at the time was super niche. Right. It was like only the nerdiest of nerds were doing cyclocross. It was like <laughs> roadies, roadies in the off season and like other like deep bike nerds were doing it, but it was not popular at all. No, 
gravel bikes were. Yeah. Um, so it was this really weird, and I didn't really know much about it. So I was like, all right, yeah, let's do it. And so we started. <laughs> started going, Love it. I started going to races, and and they were like really small, you know, like tiny, tiny races, barely anybody there, you know, and it was uh, deep bike nerd stuff and not cool at all. At least in my mind, I was like, this is cool. Um, but that was kind of was cool that it wasn't cool. Um, and it was really fun. Um, just because it was so much chaos, you know, it was like, that was back when races were in Golden Gate Park and stuff. And it was just like, you ride your bike down this thing and try not to crash before you take a right into the bushes and then, you know, do this. And it just seemed really chaotic. So it was fun and we had fun with the team and it was going really well. And I'd never run a team before. So that was super fun and interesting. And then, um, Hunter Cycles had a cyclocross team and they had a rad team and the riders actually suggested we should join these two teams and make them one team. And I was like, yeah, if you guys are want to do that, that sounds cool. So I, we talked to Rick Hunter about it and, um, he was down. So then it became freewheel Hunter and, um, and that was a cool ass team. And it was just a, a lot of really cool, like deep bike culture people involved. Um, so that was super fun. Yeah, and that and that was one thing I was going to say about Freewheel, and then it ties into this, is Freewheel really had the culture side of, it wasn't just a bike shop that had good inventory. Like, you guys, and specifically you, because you were kind of the one driving that ship, is you understand that, understood the culture of, of track bike and cycling, and I don't know, like, I have such an appreciation for subcultures and things like that, and you're one of the few people where it like really pinpoints into and I don't know I just have so much respect for that and it's cool to be like oh this person is able to create this influence but not in like this like influencer way more of just like creating a space sharing knowledge and perspective with people and then letting that go out and like influence like culture and this, so it's it's I didn't quite know that uh, cycle cross stuff so you did it with like through the track bike and then then the cycle cross and like and it's just and i don't you know i'm not saying you're like oh these new trends like it's definitely not that it's it's almost like you're drawn to like the genuineness of something like when you yeah. say nerdy i think genuine because nerd is not trying to prove shit it's just like love for something yeah. that's yeah that's really that's a good way of putting it yeah like all the people that were involved in cyclocross at that point were just the biggest bike nerds. And I love yeah, that. Ex exactly. And, and as far as community, like I definitely loved bringing people together, like, and watching them interact. You know, my favorite thing is like, oh. this person's rad and this person's rad. And now they're on the same team and look at them interacting together like that. Oh, that's awesome. You know, like, um, yeah. so that was good to see. It was the people that we brought on the team it was never about who was fastest. It was like who we really liked as an ambassador, you know, yeah. and, uh, for the culture. And, you know, right. it was a type of person who would, after a race, go up to the person they were racing against and be like, oh, man, you were killing it. You know, that was awesome. What happened? Oh, you got a flat. What tire are you running? What pressure? Yeah. Oh, man, try this. You know, like 
those are always my favorite people who will like beat you and then like go try and help you beat them you know like yeah that's few, sick i've known a few bike racers like that um there was a guy who used to smoke me in time trials every time and then he would come like talk to me about it afterwards you know and be like try and help me get Whoa. faster and i would always like oh, this guy's the man you know so cool yeah that is it's yeah like just through the the passion of it yeah so those were always the type of people we tried to bring on instead of like people who were like deeply competitive you know totally it i i remember you were like at one point like very dedicated to road racing Mm -hmm. was that around this time so then then i got sucked into road racing and uh did that for a while and that was mostly like a personal challenge kind of a thing to see like how far I could take it from being like a cigarette smoking bike messenger to like how, how, how far can I take my own like personal fitness? Yeah. Fitness. Yeah. So that was kind of an experiment and I, and I definitely got sucked into it and, um, and did really well and, and kept upgrading and, and, and had fun doing it. And in hindsight, I, I can't imagine doing it because it's just so rigorous and right. all the training involved and road riding just seems so boring to me these days. But um, <laughs> yeah. at the time, it was kind of like a challenge. I love challenges. And so it was fun to, to do that and see how far I could take it. And um, it was really fun. And I did a lot of stage racing was fun and, and stuff. And oh, eventually okay. I made it to Cat 2. And I was two points away from Cat 1. And then I broke my leg really bad in a crash. And then at the time, upgrade points would expire. And so I broke my leg really bad. And while I was recovering, like, like really bad, like I had to like, you know, do the thing where you go to the hospital and they're helping you learn to walk again, you know, the inspiration is playing. Um, (laughs) So I did that and all my points expired in the meantime. Oh, what a slap in the face. It was just like, it was like, what the fuck? I don't remember if it was 30, 35 points, whatever it was. It was just like, yo, that took me like a year of like riding my ass off to get those points. Like, do I want to do that again? Like, yeah. And like the only difference between Cat 1 and Cat 2, you're still doing the same races anyways, pretty much. You're racing together and Cat 1, like maybe it's more enticing to get picked up by a pro team at that point. And I was like, would I even want to race pro? It's just like, right. you're suffering so much. It's just like always suffering. It's just like, go stand in that fire and feel your legs burn for hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go ride bikes in the dirt and enjoy oh. nature and stuff. And that was when I kind of transitioned to where I'm at now, where it's just like, I'm going to go ride in dirt. I'm going to see a cool flower and I'm going to hit the brakes and I'm going to stop and I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to be like, that's cool. Instead of like having to be like, I got to keep going. My, you know, right. Interval isn't complete, you know, like, yeah. So, uh, just enjoy. I, that's one thing about road riding is I really discovered getting out there training, like how my love for the outdoors and where a bike could take you and how far a bike could take you. You know? Oh yeah. And you, you go, wow. Yeah. I rode a lot, but like when you have a four and a half hour ride and you just go out, of the city and you realize how freaking far you can get 
that's yeah. really like also very empowering to be like, wow, I can really get out there. And if I'm on a bike that goes into nature, I can get way out into nature and see these beautiful places that I wouldn't see normally. And so I got hooked on riding in nature in that point. Yeah. And there's, I, I mean, I feel like I've noticed this, there's still that challenge of like surviving the ride, you know, yeah. <laughs> like go out into nature and do this crazy thing. And then like, you know, get back before the sun goes down. So there's still, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be road riding seems so very like angular and just like cha cha cha. And, but there's still a lot of similar components in there too, uh, to like long distance off road stuff. Yeah, totally. Like being able to navigate, like how are you going to totally. navigate in this place where there's no cell service and, and have all the tools and repair stuff that you need, fuel and self-sufficiency that's involved. I think exactly. that's something I try and talk to a lot of people about is like trying to enable them to get out is, is learning to use map apps that don't re- need a cell service, you know, learning what to bring mechanically so that you can be self-sufficient enough to really get out there to some of those magical places. Yeah. That is like, brings up a, to me, it reminds me like, uh, 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 excuse me, learning a lot of those things have been through trial and error from my experience. Like, oh, bonk. Oh, flat tire. Oh, like this thing break. And then you're like, okay, these are the things that you need to survive these big rides. But totally. obviously when you're new, you don't know. So someone like you can be like, hey, here, here's all these things that really, they're basically essential. They'll seem weird because you've not had, not needed them. But if you yeah. do need them, it is like the difference between moving and not moving. Yeah, that's something I missed from working at the bike shop was helping educate people and empowering them to do whatever the hell it is that they wanted to do, whether that's riding a track bike around San Francisco to getting out on, in the nature on a mountain bike or like halfway through a cyclocross race. Like I love helping, you know, educate and empower people like that. I miss that doing that for sure. That's fun. Yeah, right. And then because you can see their progress, too. Yeah. If they've decided to take the information. (laughs) And maybe teach you something, too, you know? Oh, right. For sure. Teaching is like one of the greatest ways to like learn Mm -hmm. things that you maybe don't know and don't know. Totally. So... Then uh, freewheel, and then you started doing fresh air, and it was that during like were you still road racing at that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, As so it was. I was still road racing, and I at that point we had our own little road team kind of yes. people. And yep. uh, I remember. Yep. So then I uh, bought uh, fresh air bicycles and and was running that shop, and and um, we had our cyclocross team and a road team, so two teams, which was wow. a lot. And, um, that was fun. Um, and then I came and visited, uh, Chico, uh, which is where I kind of spent some time growing up and it's so beautiful here. And, um, I, it's so much closer to nature, you know, we're right at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains and, um, you know, it's, it's just the weather's here is like super sunny and hot and, and it's just a beautiful place. There's a Creek that runs through it. And, um, there's hot springs? No, there, well, there's, there are hot springs a little ways away, but um, uh, just the hot weather. I like yeah. the hot weather. And uh, so I had an opportunity to walk, work at 
Paul Component, which is a, a factory here in Chico that makes bicycle parts. And um, yeah, cool. That was at my end. So we moved here. Me and my partner moved here. And I started working there. And um, so, yeah, now I work at Paul and um, ride bikes in nature as much as I can. And, uh, you know, yesterday it's, there's a big park. Like you can hop on your bike here at the house. So yesterday is a great example of like my perfect day. Work till about four, get on my bike, ride up to Upper Park, which is uh, just a park that kind of goes up into the foothills of the mountains. And there's a beautiful creek that runs through there that's perfect for swimming. So, you know, ride single track up there, mountain biking, uh, stop, go swimming, jump in the creek and, uh, you know, float around, look at a really cool red dragonfly that's like mostly clear, Whoa. but like bright orangish red and uh, some cool flowers and then ride back on single track. And um, that's just dreamy to me. It just seems like a dream come true. So. Um, I'm really happy with that. And working at Paul Component is awesome um, because it's like an American manufacturer, which I really stand by. And um, it's just a, it's really neat uh, company because everything's being made right here in Chico. You know, like these big aluminum bars come in one door and finished bike parts in their packaging go out the other door. And that's really easy to like be stoked on and believe in. Yeah, it, it is like it's a pretty special company in that way. It seems similar to Chris King with like American raw goods into a finished thing. There's what else is there? I mean, I'm sure there's something, but those are the two that I think of for bicycle. White Industries. Oh, really? They're all U.S. made. Oh, definitely. They're small like us. Like we're a small company. We we typically are 12 to 14 people right now oh, wow. with COVID in place. We're oh, like... Man six people or something um but yeah we're really small and so is white industries uh velocity makes their rims in the united states that's cool um, wheel smith still makes some spokes in the u.s oh, dt wow. swiss has an actual american spoke factory as far as i know uh who else is making parts in the u.s uh there's some frame builders making handlebars obviously Aury makes their grips in the U.S. Oh, cool. Uh, I should know this because I've tried to build bikes that are, like, all American-made. And I feel like the only thing I can't get American-made at this point is tires, tubes. Oh. Not that anybody has tubes, but tires, pedals. Oh. At least flipless pedals. Oh. Uh, and seats. Oh, interesting. I think those are the only ones I, I haven't been able to find. But everything else, like my, I have a couple bikes that are all, oh, and drive, obviously if it's a geared bike, drivetrains, you know. Cassettes. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But I have a single speed hmm. where I think the only thing that's not American made is the tires and the seat and the pedals, but everything else is American. Is that that awesome lightning bolt? Yeah. Oh my God. This bike is what is this thing like <laughs> can you explain it a little bit well so my buddy cameron falconer from Cam from falconer cycles was living in fairfax while i was living in san francisco and i would always mm -hmm. uh drive over to fairfax and we'd go mountain biking on mount tam and at the time he was about an hour away in in fairfax so i'd be in san francisco and i'd be like hey you want to ride bikes on saturday yeah okay cool so i would drive to fairfax and take about an hour and then we'd go mountain biking on TAM and 
and then I'd drive back. Now, when I moved to Chico, he moved to Quincy, which is where Grindero has typically been, um, and lost and found and stuff like that. So he moved to Quincy. So now that's about an hour and a half drive. So now I can drive an hour and a half and be to, you know, Plumas National Forest, which is epic. Anyone who's done Grindero or Lost and Found knows um, that that area is like epic Sierra riding. Um, so we've uh, shared a lot of time together and he's built a lot of bikes for me. And that was a single speed that he built. And it was kind of like a, I want to build a bike with as many Paul parts as possible, as much American made parts as possible. And I had it painted by a, a famous guy here in Chico and all Paul parts. And um, it was kind of meant to be like a show bike, but uh, I ride the shit out of it. I ride it. To, this is my swimming hole bike. Oh, so. the like the look of the bike that was very unique. It kind of has like a, I think of it as like a clunker kind of vibe. Yep. But it's like a modern version of that. Yeah. It was designed to emulate a Cook Brothers Cruiser, which was a super early progenitor of mountain bikes. Before mountain bikes, there were some people building like these like cruiser mountain bikey things out of like the Larkspur area. Oh, um, interesting. And it was designed to emulate that with like the dual top tube and loop tail stays and stuff. And, oh, um, wow. And very clunkery looking, but uh, all modern parts, you know. Uh, and then the paint job has this amazing lightning through it. The handlebars have like a lightning bolt. Is that right? Yeah. Dude, the... yeah. Oddity Cycles, man. That guy is the best. He just was like, you need one of my handlebars on there. And I was like, yeah, I do. Sick. Like, <laughs> I would love to have an American-made handlebar on my American-made bike. And he, he was like, what do you want? I was like, I don't know. Whatever you think goes with it. And then, of course, he sends me a titanium bar with like a lightning bolt. Oh crossbar and yeah all these people kept on commenting like you're gonna like oh kill yourself turn them on that thing or whatever and it's like good i hope i die happy like (laughs) everybody's got something to say it fucking rules um uh what's the name of that bike it's got an interesting crusty diamond if you search crusty diamond you'll find photos of it it's it's fucking awesome google crusty diamond with a k and it'll oh. pop up, and um, it's been Dirt Rag did a write up on it, Radivus did a write up on it, Sick. and um, it, it handles really well too. I mean, it looks like oh, it's a show bike for nabs or something, but um, that's one of my favorite riding bikes actually. The way it handles, like I've taken on some pretty gnarly single track before, where oh. it's like uh, fully rigid single speed is really not appropriate for this trail, but it's like really really agile like something about the way he did the geometry on it it's like super super able like up and over stuff and very three-dimensional riding it's like really really able so oh um, fascinating yeah that bike i think i need to be buried with that bike maybe you know oh the coffin will match it'll be (laughs) one yeah that might be the bike (laughs) up now it's all oh is it up and dirty and it's like, yeah, it's going to get fucked up, you know? Yeah, like, I, I, I'm definitely on your, I'm on in your camp on that. But there is times I'll look at, like, the Stinner or something. It gets, you know, I'm just kind of like, am I doing Ooh, this wrong? When you, bikes get fucking worn out when you ride them. Like, it's just how it is, you know? Yeah, it hurts, though. That first big chip in the paint, and you're always just like, ah. Oh. You're like, all right, all right. And, like, upper park is full of rocks. So if you dump your bike in the pile oh. of rocks. Oh, 
oh man, there's like five giant chunks out of the paint and a giant, you know, there goes the anno on the cranks and everything. And it really is like <laughs> pretty bad. All the, all the rocks have like aluminum and like paint. Like, long oh, areas. really? Yeah, there'll be like a chute and the rocks on both sides are just covered in paint and aluminum from bikes. Oh my. <laughs> that is hilarious. But, you know, the one, the flip side of that is uh, through Messenger, I've gained such an appreciation for just like well-used things. Yeah. Like Messenger bikes like fucking cool if they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. All the chips from like a U-lock and like yep. personality character. And you've got to earn all those dings and nicks. Like, you can take that beautiful thing and just put it on the wall, and that's beautiful and fine, but it's not going to have... Like, you have to use it to get the the patina, you know? So They gain, like, their own, like, epic identity at a certain point. Like, bikes like, like your Decordy or whatever, you know? It's yeah. like, there are bikes that's like, oh, that bike, like, was blah 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 owned it and then they like it got stolen in new york right and blah 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 and came back and then you know like i love bikes <laughs> that like stories like that it's so cool yeah that sounds so, like city city people that live in cities have bike stories like some messengers specifically yeah, like totally. what um have you been you've been riding mostly do you have like a yeah what have you been riding mostly recently so right now, um, with COVID lockdown, I've been working from home, and uh, usually, usually by this time of year, I would have gone up to Quincy and Downeyville, you know, uh, six, eight, ten times by now because it's just it's so nice to go up there. It's so close. Like I said, yeah, hour and a half to Quincy, hour forty-five to Downeyville. So wow. that's that's where normally I'd be trying to go ride. Um, I'm trying to be safe about exposing other communities with COVID and so forth. Uh, I've been really like being a real nerd when it comes to COVID compliance. Um, I've been one of those mega nerds about it. And, um, so I've been riding a lot more locally than I normally would. Mm. Um, but that's okay. I think right now it's not about focusing on where you can't ride, but focusing on where you can ride. It's not about doing what you normally do. It's about doing what you can do totally. and find, finding new things to do. Um, so I pulled out my gravel bike a lot more than I actually had had been previously. And just sometimes I'll get off work and I'll just be like, I need to ride. I need to get, I just need to go ride my bike. And um, where am I going to go? And I can't even fucking think of where I'm going to ride. My brain is so melted. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just get on the bike and start riding and just see where it takes me. And there are a lot of levees around here because there's all these uh, orchards uh, towards the Sacramento River from us. Sacramento River is not very far. And there are a lot of um, nut orchards, almonds, walnuts, rice fields, um, various crops, but mostly orchards, um, mostly nut orchards. And... Uh, there's a lot of levees that run along those gravel levees and those are really good for riding because there's no traffic, there's no other people and you can just jam along these gravel levees for as far as you want in various directions. And it's really pretty. And if you want, you can go just dip into an orchard and hang out in the shade for a while or go to the Sacramento river and just kind of explore that area. So I've been doing that a lot more than normally I would be up in the Sierras, like Lake Basin area or something. Um, but I've been kind of exploring our local 
the agricultural valley and the, and the Sacramento River. There's some interesting, like, kind of uh, estuaries along the Sacramento River that I hadn't explored. Oh, yeah. Um, otherwise, riding my bike up into the foothills of the Sierras and my motorcycle up into the foothills of the Sierras. Um, so exploring up in that direction. Um, at some point, I might try doing some day trips up to Quincy where they're super self-supported. So I don't have to go expose the community, but I can still ride up there. So that would mean like fill a cooler full of lunch and drinks and food and all that. Fill the gas tank here in Chico, drive to Quincy. I've done this before, actually parked at the bottom of Huff, Mount Huff, you know it. Ridden up, mountain bike down it, had a blast, get back in the car. I got my food and I got my drink. I still got enough gas to get back to Chico, drive oh. back. I don't have to even go into town. Um, that sounds and, awesome. Yeah, so I can do that. So it's about time to start doing. I mean, it get riding solo though. It's it's like it's heavy. You're just like, yeah. fuck, man. Yo, it is. It's it crazy. Is. I'm, I'm allergic to bee stings, and I keep getting stung by bees. And each time, it's worse. <laughs> and last time, I got stung by a wasp. I had to go to the ER. Oh um, shit. Yeah, and I was riding with some buddies. Um, so luckily, we all like, I was like, yo, I just got stung by a wasp, and I think it's going to be gnarly. And we're like, okay, we got to ride to the bottom of the parking lot, and then blah, blah, blah. We'll get in the car and drive to the emergency room, you know. It was fine, um, and we handled it. But now, riding by myself, it's like. Way riskier. What if I get stung? That's yeah. Like, Fuck, man. Um, and it's really heavy. It's like, I can't let that stop me from riding like so it's kind of it's like i carry an EpiPen and a bunch oh. of drill and stuff and but it's like it's kind of like it's like at a certain point you have to be like if i die i died doing what i love i'm not gonna stop doing what i love it's as corny as that sounds like it's like i can't let certain things stop me from doing what i love and if i if that means me dying doing those things at least i was dying doing them Instead of sitting at home being like, oh, wish I was doing. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I guess the, 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 <laughs> the shittier version would be to not die, but to suffer for a very long time <laughs> and then still live. <laughs> that's more likely to be honest. I'm sure. I'm yeah. but it's just, it's, oh, every time it. I, it happens, it's worse. Like, it's, yeah, that sucks. That's, scientifically for some reason every time it happens it gets worse and i just kept getting stung over and over again you know and i'd be like what the hell i'd be like yo i got stung three times this year my friend would be like i haven't been stung in like six years yeah know? and i'd be like it's just what happens when you're outdoors all the time i guess i don't know yeah i mean covers arm cover leg warm uh, not a bad idea i mean does it would it help is basically Probably. Probably. It's yeah, something? It's like I'm not getting stung through my clothes. It's like on exposed skin usually. So you need like winter gear? in the... like a beekeeper outfit to ride <laughs> And like a, the puffer of smoke that you can have and just like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. The flu or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's other people. I would love to hear from other people who have experienced that. If anybody's watching this, reach out to me. And holler at me about your experience with that because I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I and mean, if anybody else is like, yeah, I carry this and I do this, like I would love to hear some advice from anybody out there. Uh, 
That's a good quite a good uh, reach out. Someone will be like, "Yeah, you just take a raw onion and a can of Dr Pepper, and what you got to do?" Yeah, please. <laughs> you rub it all over everything. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of a silly, stupid question, but how many bikes do you have? Five, and I just counted yesterday. That's it. Yeah, I was about to build. I was thinking about building another one, and I was like, I don't have room for any more. But uh, yeah, just five. I've got. Gravel bike, city bike, single speed mountain bike, geared mountain bike. Oh, and then a coaster brake mountain bike. So five. And then it, the gravel bike now, but normally would you be on the mountain bike? And then I'm assuming mountain bike is hardtail? Hardtail, yeah. Um, yeah, I alternate. Right now I'm alternating between mountain bike and gravel bike. So, like, yesterday I rode my mountain bike to go swimming and then uh you know uh yeah just alternating between gravel and my gravel bike is actually my ex cyclocross race bike oh um, it's a hunter so it's, yeah it's my old hunter team oh, bike cool. so it doesn't have a ton of room like the fattest tire that'll fit is a 40 and even that mm. kind of like rubs on the chain stay if you get oh, side yeah. on it yeah so not enough to stop me from doing it but uh, at some point, I should probably build like a real a gravel a bike with fatter gravel tires. Yeah, that's a cool. So what what would be like an optimal tire for you? I don't know. Maybe like a 50 or something. I don't know. Oh. I still got to figure that out. The 40 is nice for what I've been doing, which is just gravelly stuff. But, yeah, uh, like smooth road. Yeah. Or just straight gravel road or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> recently, I've been trying 45s on a 700C and it it's like a nice like kind of happy medium i wouldn't say they have that be like a cap but that ratio i've been pretty surprised with actually that seems it's funny i was about to say 45 seems like a sweet spot for me yeah it kind of is because you can i mean that's the whole game is like gravel is this multi-dimensional type of riding it's not only aggressive it's not only road so you're like trying to balance all these terrains in one ride or in one bike essentially and yeah the 40 can like you know you can get your teeth rattled a little bit and you'll be like okay enough is enough but you will have been able to get through it what pressure are you running 45s at i've read a thing recently that blew my whole mind about uh rider weight tire size and pressure and it like i've been going way too high on everything it was saying to do it like 30s or 20s on some stuff. And I was like, I've never 20. Oh, dude. Yeah. What I would mean, you do a 45 at? Well, I'm running my 40s at 31 to 33 PSI. So if 45, <laughs> you should be able to go lower than that. You know? I, I, th dude, that's like the ingrained from like 18 track bike tires. Just like, oh, oh yeah. 220. All, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I've been lucky because I've been able I, I'll just ask Cameron Falconer what he likes and then I'll try that and then go from there and he definitely got me going lower than I normally had been yeah it, I I mean it's like embarrassing to say like the because I so was so ignorant to this that the lower the pressure you go the more tired you get 
So you don't even need a bigger tire. You just need to keep dropping pressure. <laughs> and it could be, it could have lower roll. Sometimes lower pressures are actually lower rolling resistance and thus faster, depending on what that does track. that mean? So like there was some people doing tests uh, a few years ago, actually on road tires, and a lot of roadies started dropping their pressures because they were doing these roll resistance tests where they were rolling these bikes and they were doing you know yeah 120 psi and then they're like 95 and they're like whoa that 95 psi tire actually like rolled way faster than the 120 Um, fascinating it was faster not just control yeah i had a friend who was winning all these time trials with these really low pressures like total time trial bikes with like skinny tires and he was running like sub 100 psi pressures and just smoking them um, so Fuck, there, that's were, cool. there was, yeah. So like, you know, mountain, my mountain bike, I think I'm running 20 PSI right now. What size? T- 2.1? 2.4. 4 at 20. Okay. And I could probably even go lower. I mean, what is too low? Just if you're hitting the rim, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you're denting your rim, then you need to like, you know, you go lower and lower until you dent your rim and then you go higher. <laughs> Dent, not just hit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so are you, would you say you get, I don't know what that's called, rim shock or whatever, like hitting the rim no, like at least once? Okay. No, okay. I have to hit something pretty damn good to hit the rim. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. If I hit the rim, I know I've got to slow leap. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. You know, I've always kind of thought that you were, from all the, the musical things I've seen from you, is like more of a metalhead. And then, like, a punk rocker? Both. Yeah, both. I don't know. I, I grew up, like, listening to punk from a very early age. Uh, I had a... I looked out upon... I came across a cassette tape when I was in fourth grade, and it had Dead Kennedys on one side and Suicidal Tendencies oh. on the other side. And I was in fourth grade, and I was like... That is and awesome. It just, like, changed my life. You know, I was just like... Listening to the Dead Kennedys back then, it was just like, that guy is mad. Yeah. And, and also, seems like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> storm. And being that he knows what he's talking about, when he tells somebody to fuck off, he can do it so much more eloquently. Like, it really, like, kind of, like, made me think about ways to be anti-authoritarian as a kid and still get away with it. It was that you had to have a better argument than the adult did. Um, and so that was um, an interesting, politically kind of an interesting game changer to me. Cause like if someone yelled at me at school, if I could counter with a better argument, they would just finally be like, just never mind, you know, like. Cool. Um, so that was really inspirational and metal wise that was just something that i got into um training for road a lot i just spent endless hours on the road with headphones and would just go down the the um rabbit hole with metal just like listening to one band after another just like you know when you spend that much time on the road with headphones in you run out of stuff to listen to yeah go deeper and deeper and deeper and uh so yeah huh Cool. And there's something about listening to black metal while you're riding through the fog in the Marin Headlands. I don't know if you've ever done that, but... No, I haven't, but that sounds... Uh, it sounds like very good pairing. 
What do they oh, say? You with... Pacific Northwest, man, like riding in those fo- like yeah, I guess so. Wet forests, some good black metal. It's too. That might be too real. Too close. Too too yeah. much. <laughs> What's your first memory of cycling? Oh, I totally remember the first time I rode without training wheels. Like I, t- I, I have the most vivid vision of it. And I think this is why bikes have been so huge for me. Um, like every time, like bikes have always, I remember it so vividly as a little kid in Sacramento. Um, my, I had a bike with training wheels, a really, really little. And my, <laughs> it was the classic thing where your dad takes your training wheels off and goes along the sidewalk with you and you're on your, you know, I was on my bike and it didn't have training wheels, but my dad had my back and, and I was riding and I was like, Whoa, you know? And then I realized I didn't feel him holding me anymore. And I was still riding and I looked back and he was way down the road and I was like, Oh man, I can go so far now. Like, and I just kept going and I went down like to, there was like an underpass with some railroad tracks and, and I was so fired up and, um, and uh, yeah, I have just the most vivid memory of that. So that's yeah, my first. Such a cycling rite of passage. That story right there. Do you remember that? Yeah. You remember? Same story. That's my story. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very similar, you know, helping you walk, ride beside you. And then I was actually on like, a, there was like this little dirt road behind a house that we were living. And just like, was that? Where is this? In Fargo, North Dakota. Uh-huh. And just like, I feel like I was a little slower off the training wheels than some of the other kids. So uh. I was like, I got to fucking do this now. <laughs> and then got him off and was like freaked out because I didn't really know how to like turn without him. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. first it's just like go straight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But do you have a moment like my moment with that Trek Antelope where, where you had like a, like a, wait a minute, like. This, this might be something really serious for me. Hmm. My first memory of cycling, which is not the question that you asked, is my dad would ride me on the back of his 10 speed, like the kid on the back thing. And just like being on a bike as a kid and then the training wheels. And I don't. Yeah, like no, talking about when I met you, you were riding the track. You were messengering in San Francisco when I met you. Right. I, what led to that? Like, where did you end up? How did that end up happening? I totally fell into being a bike messenger in Sacramento. Like I was interning at this skate snow music magazine called Heckler. And the it was this shared office with this guy that had like a small messenger. It was like him and his, and his oh. partner, um, okay. like legal company. And he was like, hey, we need somebody. No, I've said this story before, but it's kind of crazy. I was sitting in the office with the editor. I was like, hey, I got to find a job. Like, you know, what do you think I should do? And the guy was like, what do you want to do? I was like, skate shop or maybe a music store or being a bike messenger would be cool. And we're like, okay, whatever. Go on about the day. And later that day, this guy comes in the office and is like, hey, do you know anyone who wants to be a bike messenger? And he was like, yeah, this guy. He's like, cool, you're hired. See, See me before you leave or something. But and and that really did change my path because I was focused on like skate and mu- uh, skate and photography and music mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
I knew even in Fargo as like a teenager that I wanted to like the real world had that dude puck who might have been oh, were you living in San Francisco during that time? No, I was a messenger in Portland then. So, so people would be like, Do you know do you know Puck? Oh I yeah. bet. I don't have a TV, man. I'm like a fucking punk. Man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know who Puck is. It's not a, he's not a, from what I hear, he's not an actual bike messenger. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing too. But that's how I even heard about what a bike messenger was oh, through MTV in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, and I was like, that fucking what is that? Awesome. So, yeah, like. So that was the moment. What were you riding? It when in when, Fargo when messengering in. Oh, OK. In Sacramento. Yeah, I guess. I had a, it was a Gary Fisher. I don't even remember the model. It was like uh -huh. this crappy Gary Fisher bike that I actually got when, so I lived in Portland. Um, the, the day after high school graduation, I moved to Portland, Oregon, lived there for a year. And just, <laughs> yeah, similar story to you, like not knowing what to do, depressed, just like f fucking like kind of hating it and just hitting my, Andrew's like, I got to just leave because I'm not doing anything here. And there was a bike in the basement of the apartment I lived in that did not move the whole time I lived there. And I was like, I'm taking this bike. So I took it and it, and it was, I'm stoked that I did because then I had a bike in Sacramento to like start riding. And it was, I don't know what rapid fire shifting uh -huh. thing. And I, I just, what's that? Mountain bike? Yeah. I mean, a, aluminum Gary Fisher nice. something. I don't even, yeah. yeah. There you go. But that, yeah, that was great. And then from, you know, then you start riding in like messenger culture and you're like, oh, there's other bikes in the world. Like, who knew? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, for both of us, cycling is like once we kind of figured it out, it like totally changed our whole paths. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'll ride till I'm dead. It's just it's my thing. It's it's kept me alive through so many weird ass things. So. Yeah. And it's something we can do yeah. into life, which is right now is a great example. It's like, I'm like, well, I'll ride my bike through this. You know, I rode it through other bullshit and it got me through it. So I'll ride it through this. So yeah, yeah we're lucky to have that. Sure. Well, maybe that's a good, uh, maybe we'll end it on that. Oh uh, yeah. Go ride your bike. I think the main thing for people right now is just being motivated. You know, there's a lot of like shitty news and people yeah. get caught up in a vortex and they're like sitting there staring at Instagram all day and it's hard to motivate, but yo, put the phone down, get out there. Once you start turning the pedals, the bike will take you somewhere and you'll be in a better place. And maybe you'll end up in front of a blackberry bush and you'll start picking blackberries and you'll be like, damn, I needed this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kinds of experiences I have. And right now I think they're just crucial. So, so if you're watching this, get on, ride your bike because uh, it'll save your ass. I promise you. Love it. Love it. And also two people should check out uh, Travis's Instagram, California Travis. Dude, your photography game is next level. Oh, thanks. I'm just trying to share my ride Dude. with people and hopefully inspire them to get on ride and do the same thing you know if anybody's ever like yo yeah you like inspired me to get on ride and I'm like great that's what's up awesome yeah. glad to hear it now inspire me back 
Let's do it. Yeah, right. Like keep that. Yeah. That flow going. So. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, you have changed my life, so I mean, I hope I can do a little bit to inspire you too. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Yeah, this has been great. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Yeah, let's do that corner kiss. That oh we yeah. To. Wait, where are you? <laughs> Wait, I. Damn it! I'm bad at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs>